Welcome to episode 143 of the Winning Ticket Podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. What an eventful and strange week it has been, Jordan. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about the eclipse. No. We've We've just had a very interesting conversation about the eclipse before we... Before we begun, Jordan was speaking about how he was bowled over with emotion <laughs> at at the sight of such majesty, and I said, "That's enough of that, Jordan. There's books stuff to talk about." <laughs> I tried to make I think of a a bucks related solar eclipse joke. You tried all day or all week is probably the best way of putting that. No, for, no, no. for listeners who know you, strictly to today, which I mean. There's been many hours to this day, so it could be all, all day. Were there 24 but, uh, the cl- by any chance? Well, yes, but at this moment in time, it's not yet 24. It's about is it 18. Not yet no, a no. Jack Bauer. Not yet a Jack Bauer, more of a... Wait, no, it's 16. Sorry. So that's... Uh, what would that be? Try to think of a number. Damn it. Anyway, uh, the closest I've come to is a David Noller... Eclipse, that's a play on David Noel, who was a buck for approximately one season. That's, I mean, at least you've got eight hours left to keep trying. Yeah. We'll move on from the Eclipse. We'll let Jordan's brain just keep ticking away. Excuse excuse us if you hear that sound in the background throughout the podcast, just the gentle ticking of Jordan's brain. What we're going to start out with is, I guess, the big books news of the week. The big Greek news of the week, which is that Yas Antetokounmpo will not be representing his country in Eurobasket in the next two, three weeks. He announced on Instagram on, what day was it, Jordan? Sunday? Saturday. Saturday. Um, announced on Instagram on Saturday that, unfortunately, due to a niggling injury that has been there for quite a while he would be unable to play for the team at the tournament. That all seemed fine, disappointing, a little bit surprising. And then the Greek Federation got involved and have since alleged all sorts of conspiracy that the books and the NBA have been plotting this the whole time. That this was a carefully managed, constructed event that Yanis was never going to play in it. And it was just a matter of time before the excuse came out. 
The Bucks and the NBA have since strongly refuted this. And we've been left in a very, very weird position. There are, I guess understandably, a lot of angry Greek fans. I don't think it would be understandable for them to be angry with Yanis being injured, disappointed certainly. But, I mean, whether it's true or not, one thing's for certain, if the Federation puts out the kind of rhetoric they've put out in the last few days, fans are going to feel a little bit disgruntled by the whole thing. I think we've seen that. From the book's perspective, and more on our side of the fence, uh, there's been a very strange mix of reactions. And uh, we've touched on this without ever really going deep into the whole Eurobasket conversation. We've touched on this at different times in recent months. I am always of the opinion, and I have been with this situation, that you know, if Giannis wants to play, go let him play. Go let him play for his country. Let him hopefully succeed. Let him come back bigger and better. And you go from there. If it's what he wants to do, one, you you should be allowing him to represent his country if it's what he wants. And two, I mean, if it's what he wants, keep him happy. Let him build. It's not something that should necessarily kind of derail his season. I know everyone goes, oh, the extra, extra toll on his body. Look what we'll do. You know, injuries can happen without that extra toll. Guys could be fine with it. It's... That can be overplayed. I understand you're increasing the risk of kind of cumulative fatigue, but yeah, this is a young player. He won't be able to do that forever, but right now you'd say, okay, maybe he can get away with it. From the book's perspective, though, there have been a lot of fans who have been almost celebratory that, you know, oh, great, he's not going to go to Eurobasket. This is great news for the books, great news for the season ahead. I'm kind of bewildered by that because... Have those people not realized that the reason they didn't want him to go to Eurobasket was in case he might get injured? And he may actually be missing it because he's already injured. Got to say, I'm having I'm having difficulty with that. Before we get into these, the murkiest of murky waters that we've dipped our big toe or our pinky toe, whichever your preference is, <laughs> in on this Winnipeg <laughs> podcast for quite a while. What's your overall impression or what was your first reaction to this news and the various pieces of news around that as it came out, Jordan? Well, let's let's break through it, break it down into stages. Because this technically did – there was the first, uh, uh, I guess, level <laughs> part of the word. But there was Giannis's announcement, which I had felt – but this is on a podcast. I think this is probably in our numerous hours talking to each other after or before it. Um, but we were talking about just whole preparing for you know Eurobasket and all this stuff. And I had a feeling that Giannis wouldn't play because of injury, just because in like warm up games, this is it was constantly kind not constantly, but. Think of the few warm warm up games that he played. There is mention of him kind of managing minutes or even coming down looking. Well, he's, he only played one game, one warm up game. For only one? I thought it was wow. No one. Yeah. He sat had to sit out the others because of injury. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I had a feeling this could this would manifest in something in him. You know, maybe backing out at some point due to injury, which is unfortunate. Um, and then the whole 
uh, statement from the Greek Federation, which I understand the frustration. And obviously, when you're when does Eurobasket start? Three weeks? Less than three weeks? Oh, something it, like it that. Starts in like eight days. Eight days. That's that is considerably less than three weeks. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's a tough corner to that you're put in without your best player. And I mean, I saw something the other day. Like, it's not even just Giannis. Look at all the people that are going to be missing Eurobasket that are considerably if they're not the stars of the team they're you know being on that level Teodosic, Jokic isn't playing for Serbia I think I mean there's countless others that not even just NBA players like you know high level European players like Sergio Yule uh he came down with an injury during warm I mean injuries have been rampant in this whole lead up to this year's Eurobasket. So it's not a it's not just a, a problem that you know Greece is going to face. I mean every team that is considered like a favorite or just, you know, in the tournament in general is facing some sort of injury bug, but considering the time this is happening and trying to come around and adjust to not being without your best player, it's a tough situation. But uh yeah, it was it was a lot to digest from what they were, you know, levying out there. It was just a weird day in general <laughs> just to see this kind of, you know, come to a boil and then having the NBA have to make a statement, obviously, and just it was just like, what is going on? <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know. I keep asking – we keep asking that question this offseason, and I made a joke about that, but it's <laughs> for a team that has done – so very little. They have they re-signed Tony Snell. The only moves that haven't come without controversy is the draft and re-signing Tony Snell and everything else the Bucks have uh casually touched or had or it related to have become this weird, like I don't know, bevy of controversy. The first thing I want to say, and I, I think it's important to kind of get into some of this stuff early, because I, I think in many ways it's the unexplored element of this, and I think for books fans and I think American basketball fans in general who view the the game through an NBA prism and then even through a, a USA basketball prism from the international setting, um, like the Greek statement that everything seems completely bizarre, it's it's this unbelievable unbelievable reactionary thing that you go what sort of what sort of professional organization would do this i think that's the that's the jumping off point you've got to kind of start at because the greek federation aren't usa basketball they aren't this behemoth this machine funded with infinite amounts of money with an incredibly vast talent pool to, to pick their players from they're a mid-tier international international setup i mean that that's the that's the the bones of it and when you look at this tournament in particular they were heading into it as one of the favorites in spite of having missed out on olympic qualifying would in part because of coming up against some of the teams who'd be their rivals um there were, there were probably only Serbia and Croatia who could be argued as bigger favorites. And I don't even know if you'd 
if you'd win out that argument because very simply Greece were going to head into this tournament with the best player in the entire competition in Giannis. So I, I don't think their loss should be overstated in it. Um, I've seen quite a few people throw out, and this is, this goes back months, but it's even in the time since of, you know, if he's going to sit out, now's the time. It's just Eurobasket. If he's going to sit out, this is the time to do it. It's not the NBA. Like, that needs to be killed dead straight away. Eurobasket is a really, really big deal. Um, I don't know if, again, that's because it, this is an international tournament that the USA aren't in, that anyone could hold that that opinion or that idea of it. But if anything, for the teams who are in it, it is all the more significant because USA are not in it. So if you're a small country like Greece looking to take the next step, looking to really kick forward where basketball's at in your country, your best chance of doing that comes in Eurobasket. If you want to build to be the kind of uh, once-in-a-generation team almost who knocks off the US at Olympics or in the World Championship, you're generally going to have to get that momentum and get that energy going through Eurobasket. And as um, as a Greek Twitter follower of mine pointed out this morning um, to me in a tweet in response to the article I wrote on this, but what they highlighted was something that maybe isn't entirely known in terms of looking at the Greek basketball system and environment from afar, whether that's from anywhere else in Europe or from the US is, if it wasn't for the success of the Greek national team in 1987, when they won Eurobasket, uh, I believe they were in the bronze medal match three times in the 90s. That was what really set in motion kind of basketball in Greece. And again, for this current generation, the 2005 team, which famously won Eurobasket, that set in motion the next stage. And as was pointed out to me by, by that Twitter user, I don't think people understand that if it wasn't for like those kind of successes in Eurobasket, basketball wouldn't be as big a sport as it is in Greece. Maybe Giannis doesn't have Giannis. Exactly. Giannis could be a track athlete. He could be a soccer player. And I, I think that's, that's something again, that it's, it's just, it's a cultural difference that gets somewhat lost, but you're not generally in Europe. And this is across European countries. Maybe some of the Baltic countries, this is an exception, even though still it's debatable. Like, you get a really athletic, talented kid. Basketball isn't the top sport they're generally going to get put into. It could be it could be the second behind soccer. In, depending on the, on the country, it could be even further down the pecking order. So Water polo. Water polo, absolutely. Like yeah. that's that sounds like a Jordan Tresky punchline, but that's yeah. a real thing. This is something that maybe doesn't translate. So to just dismiss Eurobasket, this means an incredible amount to these people. Um, I fully believe from everything Yanis has ever said, and even from um, the last time he was there in 2015, this means a lot to him as well. So I don't think it should just be oh, you know, better this than I think his time games was... the season. Sorry to cut you off, but what was I think he said during his statement on or his Instagram post that was taken down, but it was on Facebook, something like that. He said something about like this is the team that I've I'm butchering the quote without even <laughs> remembering it correctly. I think the quote you're referring to is 
I want to bring success with this team. I'll be there for the team for the next 15 years. I'm not thinking about the end of the road, but the journey to get there. We have to go step by step, prepare the best way we can and aim for the biggest possible goal. And of course, he also referred to this as the biggest disappointment of his career to date, which like, I believe all of that. I, I think some of the interesting interesting elements of this when you're trying to parse through, like, well, is this a real injury? Is there some games going on here? I think even from a, from a Greek perspective, if you really wanted to think that this is, this is not a real thing, this has been done to us, we've been wronged here, if you want to take that that stance with it, you're calling Yanis a liar. I mean, you're you're not taking Yanis at his word with a lot of things he said, and I I think we all know Yanis' character at this point, and it goes beyond his character. I mean, he's shown it in his actions. He does so much for Greece and the communities around Greece, and he spends so much time there, and he constantly talks and promotes the country, and he's so proud of what became his homeland, what became his family's homeland, that I think to suggest that, you know, this is something they're all in on, you could say, oh, well, he had no say. One, that's not the case. I don't, that's not how it works. If Yanis wants to play, trust me, Yanis is playing. But secondly, even if that was the case, if the books in the NBA decided, you know, he's not playing in this, it's more important he's healthy for us, what they then go and approach Yanis and go, okay, Yanis, you've got to put out a lie. You've got to put out a lie. This is our story. You've got to sell it. And you've got to answer questions about this all throughout the summer, probably when the season starts back round, and every time you go to play for your country from now until the end of your career. It just doesn't add up for me. I, I, Yanis is not that kind of guy, and I don't think he'd want to waste the energy that that would take. Do you agree with that? Where do you fall on, on this side of it? Like, I know you were saying you felt there might be some issues that I'm playing, but do you believe the books had any sort of role in that? Is there anything nefarious going on? Or is he actually just injured? I, I don't think, I think at this point, it's all we have to do is just take Giannis's word and the, the word of the Bucks, the word of the NBA. Um, I think a lot of it is just out of frustration I think it's pretty simple. Um, uh, it's just, I don't know. It's just a weird, it's obviously a weird situation, but I just don't, I don't see something that calculated and that kind of planned out to take him away without, with when there is reason to suggest that, that he is carrying an injury and then not just from, from whenever, how long this has persisted, but we have recent examples of it when he was with the team, the Greek national team. It's just a weird it's weird to paint it out that way, but again, it's it's not it's very easy to see why that was because it is such a frustrating thing for Greece as you know as you point out and stuff like that. It's just a weird situation, and I just think I feel like this is gone. This is maybe this didn't happen the the I guess Giannis's first EuroBasket um tournament playing for Greece. But I just I feel like it's weird to talk about the national team and from a Bucks fan's perspective because I think a lot of them I think a lot of people to, to be honest to be honest uh, it's it's pointed out selfishly like you said like it's not even just it's not even just taking this year for example this is I feel like this is last year when I, I can't remember nothing comes to mind of anything like this happening. 
um, him coming out of a game or something like that or being overworked or anything like that. I just think it's a weird – it's weird to, to – to, from my vantage point – to see people view it less than the Bucks because, or playing for the Bucks because we're, you know, entitled, we're fandom, that's how it works and all that stuff. But as you pointed out, this means a lot more than just playing in the NBA and so like that this is national team, it's representing your country, all this stuff that comes with it. And I, I don't know, it's just a weird thing that I think that is going to be kind of juggled for the next however how long this goes out his career goes on and national team career goes on and it's just weird to see it be that kind of sentiment where people might not feel that way but there's like this it seeps through where it's like protect him at all costs when there's so much more than just playing for the national team it's there's pride and all that yeah, and there's there's no comparison to playing for the books or playing for the national team. I mean, playing for the books, you could say that's where his responsibility lies because they're the ones who pay his very sizable paycheck. But like, I mean, Yanis has no reason. As much as he, I'm sure he's grown fond of Milwaukee. As much as he does take pride in representing the people who he lives around, like it's not the same as representing where he's from, who he is. Like that's. There's a different kind of level of pride that I, I, I've always been puzzled with this. I think it's come up in various different guises at different times. I think it's just kind of an extension of USA basketball have so, so many options. Their embarrassment of riches means that, you know, if LeBron James and Kevin Durant decide we're not playing this summer, they can do that without letting the country down and creating this kind of fuss because there are more than enough guys to go and be the next man up and still play at a level where you're the best country in the world. That doesn't happen elsewhere. And it's not, it's not kind of just okay because it's okay by American standards. It's, it's a different situation. It's a very different situation. I'm sure Greece would love to be blessed with enough talent where they were just like, Oh, Giannis isn't playing. We can still win, but they're not. And I, I do think it means it's different for the player in question. And it's different for those fans. As as books fans, I don't think there's necessarily a need to concern themselves all that much with how it affects Greek fans. I think the Twitter and social media, everything around that means those two worlds collide in situations like this. But I think like if you're not considering what this means to Yanis as opposed to, well, they pay his paycheck and this is the this is where he'll spend most of his year, this is what he should be doing. If you can't take into account why this would matter for the player. I, I'm not really... I can't understand that. I think that's a, a really crucial part of this debate. The other thing, and this is something we touched on, I think, jokingly way back um, when all the, you know, all the Yanis rumors, if I'm being very gracious, very liberal with my use of the term rumors, about what he's already decided he's going to do four years from now, all of that stuff... When that was going around, I made the point of, you know, all the books need to do now is just to not allow him to go to Eurobasket, completely alienate him, and he'll be like, that's it. I have my bags packed, and when four years come, I'll be ready. That's a big part of this, too, from the Greek perspective, where if you want to say this is a conspiracy, again, what are the books gaining out of this if it isn't Yanis making the call? If Yanis wants to play for the team, 
it is certainly not in the book's interest to be like, no, you're not going. You're not going. You may be a megastar, an adult man, but we are saying you are not allowed to play for your country. You will stay here with us, except for trips to China to promote our league, and you will not play for your country. You can worry about playing for your country when you're in LA. You know, I, I... there's no reason the books can't do themselves and their relationship with Yanis, who is literally the most important person in the entire organization right now. They can't do that any good by just being like, nope, you're not going. We're finding a way out of this for you. You are not going. It's like, it just, none of it adds up. It's, I, I, I'd like to be skeptical. I'd like to be a little bit suspicious just for my own selfish reasons, if I was looking forward to watching Yanis in like a week's time, but I'm not really getting the reasons for the books. What are you getting out of just that little bit extra rest? I, I don't think the, the playing isn't a hindrance. These are professional athletes. They can carry an extra four or five games in their body. I think the one thing that could be a, a real negative from the perspective of any team of players at Eurobasket is they be back at the last minute, possibly even late for the start of camp. That's not ideal, but I mean, these things happen. Tony Snell arrived in Bucks camp a week before the season last year. It's like Chris Middleton got injured slipping on a wet spot in the Bucks practice facility in camp. I mean, there's there's just no real way to. Miles Plumley was overusing his unicycle, and that led to his. Uh... <laughs> I mean, he certainly wasn't in overusing the unicycle sort of shape. I'll say that. Mm. No offense, Miles Plumley. You're <laughs> you're a nice guy, but I don't think it's that's not particularly up for debate. I'm sure he'd even admit he wasn't with his own injury problems. Maybe that's the maybe that's the example of what happens if you don't deal with the the niggling injury problems in the summer. You let them carry over to the season. You play terribly, and you get traded to Charlotte mid-season. For Spencer Halls and Roy Hibbers. And where do those toothbrush holders go? Not to Greece, Jordan. Not to Greece. No. Some warehouse. Raiders of Lost Ark style. My, my last thing on this that I want to talk about. And I did write about all of these kind of strands in a piece that I kind of just needed to get out there. But it was probably not my best article because I had a lot of things going on in my head that I just wanted to throw at all of you. Uh, but one element that I feel particularly strongly about, and this extends to international basketball generally, is I don't think it should be seen as a bad thing, particularly when your players are going to be competing and may even go on to win a tournament, to experience what success feels like, to have that sense of jubilation, to have that extra burst of confidence coming into a new season. I really struggle to understand why that could be a horrible thing. Like, if Giannis hadn't been injured, plays in Eurobasket 4 for Greece, they win the tournament, and he's Eurobasket MVP. How's that a bad thing coming into the season? His stock continues to rise, his star rises, the legend is already growing, he comes in more confident than ever, he knows what it takes in these really high-pressure situations like i feel 
we can't really pick and choose with this because I know in the past there's been this big thing in the books community of um, in Eurobasket two years ago when obviously he was much further back in his development, but even Olympic qualifiers last year, everyone would say things like, this is interesting. We're getting to see Giannis in a situation where, you know, the pressure is really on him to deliver. It's like win or go home, win or, win or miss out on the Olympics. How is he going to cope? What way does he... And we've seen kind of different 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 levels of performance under that kind of stress and pressure but we've always said it's good he's getting reps in real kind of ultimate pressure situations here like it can't just reach a point where like well he's an all-star and he made an all-nba team so that doesn't matter now we're just here for him not playing for anyone other than the books never play a pickup game no off-season scrimmages with other nba players nothing like that this is just what it is for me, I, I think there is and could be much greater value in what does a positive experience do? The season is long regardless. I think this is the thing. Guys will get tired in the season. What you want is you want something that's really positive fuel to carry you through. I don't think anyone's going to come into an NBA season after a great international tournament to be like, oh, I feel so tired. It's not how it works. It's just guys run on adrenaline. And I think there's also an element of, you know, these guys work 24 7, 365 days a year. That's, that's how they are at the level they are. It's not like he doesn't go to Eurobasket. He's not on a court working really hard. He's just not getting game reps. And the same applies for the injury side of this. It's kind of, I find something, something a little bit amusing about when we pretend like, I don't know, some of the concern around Giannis' injury. I'm like, he's got an injury. My God, he's never got injuries. All of these guys are injured. Welcome to professional sports, where when you have to play 82 games in a regular season, you're playing three, four times a week. You are gonna, you're going to be pretty hurt all year round. And it's going to be a managing that, getting to know your own body. Like... I have no doubt that Yanis has been carrying things as every book has been for quite a while. And if it has reached a point where it's really uncomfortable and he's going, I'm worried that this could be something more, well then, damn right now is the time to kind of shut up shop and let's get this sorted. Because this is the start for him. This is the start, not just in terms of the books, but for Greece. If his goals are, you know, I want to win or compete with the U.S. He spoke about that earlier in the summer. He wants to be on a Greek team that topples the U.S. If you want to do that, well, you're going to need to be healthy for the future for World Cups and for the Olympics. Now is the time to kind of deal with it. And I get that. For any of you who have kind of just heard the bits and pieces, which it really is, it's all vague strands, by the way, um, go to our website, behindthebookpass.com, and our own Ben Sewell, who is a physiotherapist by trade, he did a kind of a breakdown of what right anterior knee pain really means. Basically what Yanis recovery can expect it to be and uh, what, what will have caused this. And the story is very much like, it's just wear and tear. It's the kind of wear and tear you expect NBA players to carry. And it may just have reached a point where it's troubling them a little bit more. It's wise to take the time to get it right. But Going back to, I guess, my original point would be, I, I'll i never understand why people would just be like, he's better off sitting out than possibly going, winning a tournament, winning MVP, and coming back 
as the most confident version of himself we've ever seen. I don't know. I just don't get that. I agree. Okay, so we'll, we'll wrap up on Yanis on that note, which is basically where I wrapped up that article that I wrote that I mentioned earlier, which was everyone lost in this situation, except Greece's rivals. <laughs> um, Serbia and Croatia were definitely not the losers here, but the Greek national team are worse off. Um, the books are worse off if he is, in fact, injured. We're worse off in terms of fans because we're not going to get to watch Giannis play basketball in a week's time. There's no winners here. It's pretty disappointing. What I want to move us along to is I guess we're, we're going to catch up with two former books briefly before we uh, before we, we move on to the mailbag. One a little bit less briefly because who knows maybe he isn't just going to be a former book. I am of course talking about International man of mystery, the nomad himself, O.J. Mayo, um, who has been the subject of a variety of articles inquiring after his whereabouts and what he's doing now a year on from his uh, two-year suspension from the NBA for uh, violation of the anti-drug policy for a drug of abuse, which I think is the tactical terminology. Um a lot of stuff has come out on that, and finally, it seems like OJ Mayo has had enough of being like, okay, I'm going to set this one straight. He spoke to Ben Golliver, Sports Illustrated, a really, really great um, detailed feature on basically everything he's gone through since, reflecting on what's gone wrong at times throughout his career, who he is now, and I guess the most striking element of all of it is just how determined he is to come back at his very best. While all of that would be interesting to begin with from a book's perspective as a player who was very popular considering his production as opposed to his salary for his time in Milwaukee and who has most recently been a book in his playing career, there's another layer of interest because in speaking about what he would like his next step at the NBA to be, OJ Mayo had the following to say. I want to go back to what I left in Milwaukee, Mayo said, when asked for his dream destination. I was real close with Jason Kidd. That was the best relationship I had with a coach besides Dwayne Burns. I had great relationships with Yanis and Chris Middleton. I was comfortable there. I felt like I let them down. Cheated them for two years. They paid me $8 million to be, in my eyes, a subpar player. They invested millions of dollars for me to be on top of my and when you're not on top of your it shows. I'll be 30 next summer. If they just give me the chance, I can make it up. I owe them. I wasn't expecting this. Um, it's kind of, it's very intriguing to me. Not as much as going, oh, how does OJ Mayo fit with the books next summer? But just how determined he seems to be to want the chance to make up that particular right. After two years out, you'd think that maybe his priority would be, okay, if I go and as he, as he hopes to, uh, gets to play for a team in China, Spain, Israel, somewhere internationally and show that he's still a uh, more than capable NBA player, that he'd come back and you know get another payday. But something that comes across very clearly from this piece, and I guess kind of butts heads with what some people might what the, what the preconceptions of O.J. Mayo might be considering his problems is that 
money doesn't seem to be an issue. He seems to have handled his money pretty well. Um, he is pretty comfortable with it, and he instead seems to have a kind of redemption and a payback to her in mind. And for him, the priority seems to be to pay back some debts in Milwaukee. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first off, it's a really good article from Ben Golliver. If you haven't read it, I urge you to read it. I don't know. It's 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 a. I th- I feel. I don't know. I don't think I have <laughs> perfectly my thoughts in line with how to digest it all. But it is a. It is refreshing to hear from his perspective. And you know, we talked about Mayo couple weeks ago maybe not i can't remember but uh when the the article came out i think we talked about him yeah um i guess it was just really interesting just to to see from his perspective his time in milwaukee but even that i mean that dwarfs in comparison to like just what has gone on with his life since being you know uh receiving the ban and uh i don't know it's just it's one of those things where it's like you you obviously wish the best for him. He has, seems to be in a better place mentally. Um, you know, when you're talking about his time with the, the team here, obviously you would say one out of the three years of the three years that he was here was considerably good. Um and that was, you know, obviously during the, the resurgency year with Jason Kidd coming to Milwaukee and all that stuff. Um, but even like, even though obviously there's, there's, you know, the Mayo, the first season where, you know, he's out of shape and that the season from hell and all that stuff. Um, but even last year, like, obviously we talked about like, you know, he didn't have a good season by any stretch of the imagination production wise, but he was still really respected. He was the de facto veteran. And obviously there were times where, he, you know, he lose, lost his cool, but everybody really respected him, you know, amongst the team. And even, you know, we follow all the people that are Bucks officials and they're saying, you know, great words about him even now with this article being out and all this stuff. And they have the utmost respect for him. Um, who knows? Maybe it's in the cards. I just, at this point, like, it's just, I feel like we every t- this is, it reminds me every time with like a former buck or uh it's Mayo's just reminding me of this, but we did with Beasley. It's just always like the initial like are we can we get him next year? It's like I I mean this guy still has a year year out from being from being banned and then he has to go through the process and that you know there's the illuminating parts about how they the background that they go through and all the kind of this I guess, quote unquote, checklist of what's what they have to consider before uh, lifting the ban and all that stuff. Um, but at first, I mean, regardless if he ever comes back to Milwaukee, all this stuff, like I just hope that he eventually comes back in the league because it's crazy to think that he's been in the league for almost or not in the league, but been in the NBA consciousness, basketball consciousness for who knows how long, more than ten years going on like 15 years now and he's still like what 29 almost he's gonna be 30 next summer when he gets hopefully uh this band gets lifted i mean that's just crazy to think about i mean that's it's half his life basically that oj mayo has been a known figure as a basketball player and 
obviously it didn't it, it was i guess a sliding scale uh in terms of when he entered the nba but as we've seen look at michael beasley is a, a perfect example of a guy that maybe it took a few things few things that went wrong with him and a few various stints and all that stuff and then he gets a second chance by coming back in the league obviously different circumstances but he could find out carve a niche for a team and stuff like that and kind of regain what he lost and stuff like that like it's of course you want to root for that kind of story no matter what it is yeah and that's a that's an interesting comparison that's one we'll we'll get into in a second with some stuff bees has said which would certainly apply to mayo too um, other things worth noting from from that Ben Gulliver piece, um, he notes that Mayo thanked Jason Kidd, John Hammond, Mark Lazary, and Wes Edens for doing, I quote, everything in the world to help me. Which, which sounds like when a lot of other people turned their back on him after this happened, the books were not one of those kind of groupings that he did get some support from the books as an organization, which is good to hear. And I guess very much lines up with a lot of the positive things we've heard of the books doing in terms of for relationships with players and just looking after their people and people who've been around the organization and putting kind of putting a better energy around what they are as an organization. Like that goes back to years. This has been something they've consciously looked to do. This would seem like something that extended from that. Um, another element worth noting, and something that it came across that Maya was pretty passionate about, um, obviously because of the nature of the ban and the drugs of abuse nature of this, there was a lot of speculation at the time over what way is Mayo gone, what drugs has he used to get this. He was very, very adamant about getting across that you know these were not kind of class A party drugs. Um, was prescription painkillers that were on the banned substance list and were classified as drugs of abuse. But it's clearly something he felt very strongly about. He wanted people to know this wasn't him. wasn't him taking things lightly in a party kind of way. He admits that he probably didn't take his whole NBA career as seriously as he should have in recent years. But that's a detail that for him was something he clearly wanted to just get out there with all transparency and kind of remove any of the whisperings and rumblings about, okay, like what exactly is it that OJ Mayo has gotten himself into? It's interesting. I, to be honest, it's interesting when you think of it now, if his band was one year rather than two years, um, it's the same story where we're kind of looking and hoping they find room for Jet to come back because their guard depth is not particularly great. They're lacking kind of veteran role players to come in and fill some minutes around there. Like if he was able to play this year, OJ Mayo could well have found his way back onto the books roster. If he was looking for, for a pretty cheap deal, there's a strong possibility that that is no different next year. Um, it all just depends on how Mayo's year goes. As I said, maybe he has a great year and some team wants to pay him a lot more money than the books can. Uh, but from what he's saying, it sounds like he just wants back in Milwaukee and per perhaps that wouldn't necessarily have to be something kind of above minimum level. It's so far out that it's hard to really go on anything with that. But an interesting thought all the same for someone who was clearly important in the locker room. I think the locker room, personally, I think it has moved in a different direction in its veteran leadership over the last 12 months. I think we've seen better results from that. 
I don't know if that means the books would necessarily, as much as they like OJ Mayo the person, and they'd be glad to see him back in the NBA and with his life back together. I don't know if that means they'd want him back. That's something we'll find out further down the line. But definitely an, an interesting discussion point for free agency 2018. Almost a year out in front. Now we just need a Photoshop of OJ Mayo as Jack, Jack Shepard with a big beard screaming, we have to go back. I can do that. I mean, I might have that out before this podcast goes out because there's, <laughs> there's plenty of appropriately bearded OJ Mayo pictures. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, to, to Photoshop into that. So, yeah, Jordan, to save those good ideas for off the podcast. Redact it. I redact it. <laughs> Moving on to another former book and kind of just some housekeeping here. And in a lot of ways, I'm really bees, glad this has happened. Beeskeeping. No, housekeeping, Jordan. Beast. I'm glad this has come out because it should kill a lot of the the narratives that I'd be concerned about for the rest of the season being, if only we'd re-signed Bees, we wouldn't have these problems. If we just brought Bees back, we'd be champions. All of this stuff. I'm not, I'm not here for it. I like Michael Beasley. Um, he probably could have helped the books in some form coming back. But let's not do all that during the season, which felt inevitable until Michael Beasley. It'll, st- it'll still happen, just so you know. It will. St- well, at least we'll be able to tell the people who pay attention to those who don't from it, because Michael Beasley gave an interview with Mark Berman of the New York Post, a very kind of fiery interview, which made me think a couple of things. One, I'm sure, Fire understandably. Yeah, okay, we can we can get that joke in there. I Thank approve of that one. Um, <laughs> the two things that I came out of this with were, firstly, his, his anger or his disgruntlement, if that's the way to put that, at probably having to wait this long and ending up on a veteran minimum deal. They, they kind of felt apparent to me. This was the, you know, I'd prove myself time and time again in this league, it's time people start valuing me kind of interview, which I found a little strange that now is the time you want to go with that, but I think he has got somewhat of a point. The other big thing, though, to come for the interview, the most notable part from a book's perspective, is that he revealed he didn't want to come back to the books. I quote, Beasley didn't want to return to the books, he said, because of playing time issues under coach Jason Kidd. His minutes per game was second lowest of his career. Milwaukee got a nice young core. Unfortunately, the bulk of their core play my position, Beasley said. Minutes for me, there just wasn't what I wanted to see. Not that I'm not interested in helping the young guys, but I didn't feel comfortable watching 30 plus minutes of basketball a night. I think I've deserved more minutes than I've gotten. Going forward, I feel I'm good enough and proven myself enough to not watch more than half the game every night. What I think from that is, first of all, kudos to Michael Beasley for coming out of the season with all of the stories of how professional he was and how good he was in the locker room. If he really was kind of feeling the not being on the court quite as much as that, it would very easy it would be very easy for him to have turned that into kind of a a negative vibe 
in the locker room at that time, but clearly he just got on with what was best for the team. I can't say I'm not surprised about it, but hey, I understand where he's coming from. He wants to play. He wants to show what he can do. And if he needed any any sort of validation for that thinking, I mean, he got that this summer and not commanding a contract with years on it or a contract with any sort of meaningful money. It's shown that he's not getting to showcase his skills in a way where he feels he can go on and get the deal he really wants in the future. So I can say, you know, again, good for bees. I, I think I'm glad to see him go and get what he feels is an opportunity to get more minutes and hopefully earn more money. A little bit surprised, though, that he wasn't interested in a return all the same. Yeah, but I think he... I think the writing was on the wall. and he, I think his comments do have merit about playing time. I mean, it was kind of... I, obviously, his injury later in the season kind of took away this problem, but it, it basically kind of came down to whoever was kind of feeling it between him and Mirza, kid would roll with it. And it from that point, I could see why... And obviously, as we talked about, Overall, Michael Beasley had the better season than Mirza Toledovic. And from his point of view, if you're, you know, in the prime of your life, obviously still, you know, trying to prove his worth in the league still. But if you're having as good of a season as he did last year and you want to command more playing time, there was obviously the the role opening up for him after Jabari went down. And, you know, from that perspective, uh, it makes sense. And obviously he saw DJ Wilson being drafted. Sterling Brown not be might not be a like for like uh, uh replacement for him, but that's another four that they can slot in there so that takes time, you know, minutes away at the three if they wanted to put Beasley there. Like it just it makes sense from that level. And obviously he's gonna have a bigger opportunity with the Knicks, no matter if they deal Carmelo and all this stuff. It's all about, you know, trying to prove uh, himself being, you know, this a productive veteran for for any team, um, no matter what situation they're at. You know, if they're at the the bottom end of the league or kind of the mid tier where the Bucks were last year and hope to be higher than uh, this year. So good on good on bees for kind of you know at least noticing that and you know wanting more, obviously. On a lighter note on what became, I think, the big headline of the piece for general NBA fans, Bees did describe himself as a walking bucket, uh, which is quite the image. Uh, Bees really is such a wordsmith. Uh, but it brought back fond memories for me of all of the, the Beasley-isms we got over the course of the year. Um, I've tweeted out so many times his media day bit about clean up trash better than every other kid. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's time for people to start taking notice of Michael Beasley's ability to put everything in the bucket, no matter what kind of bucket that is, no matter what you need put in the bucket, Michael Beasley is a walking bucket. You put it in the bucket. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the mailbag, Jordan. Let's. The first one from at Nerdatree. 
Do you think the books are better than 60-40 to re-sign Yanis, and why? The first thing I think with this, obviously, is that it's four years away, so we have no idea what happens in four years, what other factors could influence that decision. They could be 100%, 99% luck to re-sign him if they're like uh, a true contender. Maybe they've got another star from somewhere, whether it's internally developing someone, trading, signing a free agent, whatever it may be. Like we, we just don't know what the next four years will have in store for the books. Taking that out of it, I mean, if you're just to look at what the general situation would be, I would put the odds if things remain pretty neutral relationship-wise or positive relationship-wise, the extra money the books will be able to offer, particularly considering Yanis left some money on the table for his current deal, should put the books in pole position. The next four years will just be the determining factor of how far ahead of the rest of the competition are they. That's how I'd see it. Yeah, I would mostly agree with that. Mostly? Anything in particular you want to disagree with, Jordan? Well, I think it's just 50-50. He either re-signs or he doesn't. <laughs> Sorry, I just painted it out. I... Well, when you put it like that, Jordan, <laughs> it's hard to argue. I don't mean to cause panic attacks for anybody listening. It was just when you make a terrible joke. You're you're right. He's got in terms of what will he do with the books in four years' time. He has got one of two options, which is he will resign <laughs> or not resign. So, so technically, yeah, I guess it is fifty fifty. Jordan um, from uh, Metastic. Did Giannis just want to view the eclipse? I don't think so, because uh, while the eclipse was happening, it seems like he was in Greece. He's gone to visit his Greek national team after withdrawing. Even if he hadn't made it to Greece then, he would have been in China before then. If he really wanted a prime position to see the eclipse, he would have got stateside right now. Any thoughts as the the connoisseur of eclipses, Jordan? Well, I know I, I won't read Goodnight Moon in the same way that I did before. That is all. Is that the, is that the first... Full solar eclipse you can remember? Yeah. Well, then you really, so. you weren't even joking about how you'll read. Yeah. I might be misremembering one, but I think of recent note. Yeah. Well, of recent note. I think they're, they're all of note, Jordan. <laughs> From at Seb underscore Seb underscore Seb underscore, which I mean, props for that handle, I guess. Will OJ Mayo be signed? This is not quite the the four years down the line but it's still 12 months from now. Who knows? Jordan, would you put this at 50-50? He either will be signed or he won't be signed? I I have no choice but to put that at 50-50. <laughs> uh, yeah, 50-50. Well, we'll have to see, I mean, what the books have in terms of... It might even be less than that. If you're stacking odds... Um, as we learned this summer, Milwaukee's cap space, roster spots, things like that could be uh, immediate obstacles to it. Remember, no matter what they do with Jabari this summer, if there's no extension, which it sure seems like there's probably not going to be at this point, next summer they've got to do something. Greg Monroe will be a free agent. Oh, Jim Mayo just may not be that high on the priority list. We'll see. 
from Metastic. The moon showed a lot of heart blocking someone 400 times its size. Not afraid to play up, could he play point guard for the books? Is Matt really... Is Matt advocating for someone to take Delhi's spot here? I thought he was equating the moon to Delhi. I think he's trying to find someone to take Delhi's job by the sound of this. Don't know why you do that, Matt. What's what's wrong? Goes with against everything that he stands for. I don't. I don't know what Matt's agenda is here. Um, from at underscore Al Hopper. Was the eclipse better or worse than eating a smoothie with a spoon? Mmm, funny that you Alex mentioned Hopper, that. There is no doubt over this. Everything is better than eating a smoothie with a spoon. Uh, I I had to wait to start this podcast because Jordan was eating his smoothie with a spoon again. It just update. I've added cucumber and it tastes delicious. By the way, the smoothie was better than the the eclipse because it was cloudy here. We didn't get the full. We didn't get the you know. I paid good money to see it. I literally paid good money to see this eclipse. I did not pay money. Did you have to? Uh, did, did you did you have your uh, your protective eyewear? Did you have something for that? No. Oof. Oh, come on. Come on. I mean. I... <laughs> I don't. I say that when the last time we had a, a proper one here, I I don't have any memory of having eyewear. But I mean, look at Jordan Tresky out here dicing with danger. I do have three D glasses that I, I. Yeah, I don't know if that would be a good idea. Don't know. Oh. But hey, it was cloudy, so you didn't have to worry about that. You just sat exactly. there like a serial killer eating your smoothie with a spoon. Hey, <laughs> come on, what? I mean, if the glove fits. From uh, at Pencil2292, would Chris Middleton make your book's all-time team on the bench? I don't think so. Yeah, because that is, he, he's at the the most stacked position. Like, he'd be going up against Michael Red, for example, who... Um, <laughs> eerily similar in a lot of ways uh even wearing the same number but michael red obviously had much much more sustained success and much greater success in terms of his individual numbers anyway with the books so middleton still Middleton still has a way to go but even with that i mean plenty of guys he's kind of gonna have to fight with because even uh, this came up in a lot of the discussion of like what would the books all-time 2k team be like depending on what way you want to make it work, realistically, one of Oscar Robertson, Ray Allen, Sidney Moncrief is coming off your bench. Like when that's one of your kind of guards, and then you're gonna have your wing questions. Like on the wing, you're probably gonna have Marcus is probably definitely in. I would go Yanis. Some people may still go say, with a Bob Dandridge, but then you're going to have guys like... Terry Cummings. Terry Cummings, Paul Pressey. Like, <laughs> I, I don't think he... I honestly don't think he comes close to making it yet. He's probably in the next wave back. Yeah, I would agree with that. Needs a couple more years, maybe, you know, who knows, an all-star appearance to kind of boost his case. Absolutely, that would help. Uh, 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, from at MKE Madison, who contributes more this year, DJ or Sterling? Sterling. I'm inclined to say Sterling, but I have a feeling that the answer is probably, you know, much of a muchness. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of more. And I'm I'm not optimistic that we're going to... I'm not saying either guy or both guys will be busts. I just... I'm not sure how much we're going to get out of this year. I don't know if the books could just keep kind of... At least go two years in a row kind of striking gold on this. We'll see. I'd lean more towards Sterling just because of his greater experience in college. Um, we talked about it in Summer League. Very kind of apparent just how physically ready he looks. He, like he cuts an imposing figure for an NBA 2 or 3, he'll be able to mix it up with guys. So I'd lean towards him, but who knows? We'll see. Lastly, from out of all the books, is Jordan Tresky the best tweeter of all time? People are going to think you're all the books. In fact, I think your own Ben Sewell asked this question. The best tweeter of all time? No. Jordan whiffs on a lot of them. That oh, no, yeah. nobody gets uh, when they hit. I mean, when they hit, Jordan is. Jordan's I'm a... I'm trotting around that diamond like Kirk Gibson in the game <laughs> six of the World '88 World Series. <laughs> but more often than not, I'm you know, I go back to the dugout and hit the bat against the wall in frustration. <laughs> Plus, there's that element. You know, you know the way some people say. Uh, you know the way some people say. Oh, I hate seeing like behind the scenes of a movie or how the movie was made i'm i'm often positioned from that viewpoint where i see what goes into the sausage that is a jordan tresky tweet i don't want to don't want to kind of pull back the curtain and diminish some of the mystique for all of you but i mean it's not glamorous (laughs) I, I often get messages that are just like, my, the only thing I can reply is, I'm being used as a testing ground here, am I? It's a regular occurrence. Those of you who think, oh, wow, how lucky you must be. Well, it's a burden. <laughs> try and spend a day in my shoes. That's all I'll say. It's not even just jokes, it's just talking about <laughs> other things. <laughs> Jordan's brain works in mysterious ways. Yep. Bono oh, could no. have sung it any better himself. Was that about your brain? She is, was, did he did he assign the female gender to your brain? She moves and on that. We'll leave that up to all of you to decide <laughs> if Bono did in fact write mysterious ways about Jordan's brain. We will be back as usual next week. In the meantime. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher. You can check out Mine and Jordan's writing at BehindTheBookPass.com. And we'll be back with you before you know it. Hopefully with a less dramatic, drama-free books week. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you.